Holy crap, you're back for another episode of The Plug with Scott and Regina Simonson. We're out here firing it up. If you were on YouTube and you are a subscriber of the Comedy Central channel, you might be familiar with the series This Is Not Happening. I'll pause if you want to Google it and check it out for yourself. But recently, there was an episode with Drew Carey, your favorite Whose Line Is It Anyway host and a 90s sitcom star that turned game show host. He shared a story about how he and Machine Gun Kelly got crazy at the Electric Daisy Festival, Electric Daisy Carnival um, Music Festival. The reason I bring this up, the reason I say any of this at all, is one of the uh, main players in the rigging, grip, and stage lighting and design sector of the entertainment industry is our guest for this episode of the podcast. He goes by the name Ricky Carden. That's right. Ricky Carden is our man on this episode. And... There really isn't too much more to say about this intro. So this one, uh, this episode goes about 80 plus minutes. So I'm going to skip the majority of our plugs and intros and uh, comments that can be said to to preface this and, and just let us dive into it. So thanks for tuning in to this episode. Um, you can find us wherever you get your podcast at daytime for the nightlife. We assume that you've already found that because you are here. Um, But if you have not subscribed, if you're looking for us, or if you want to tell your friends how to find us, daytime for the nightlife, we are The Plug, and we're Scott and Regina Simonson. So thanks for tuning in. Without further ado, here's the episode. Cool. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you do, and tell us as if we don't know anything at all. Ooh. That's uh, putting a task on <laughs> task on one for me, Jesus. Uh, so what do I do? Uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, what does that mean, you guys ask? Uh, so when I started everything, I wanted to help artists get recognized. Um, and in a way, you have to do that by branding yourself and becoming an image so that fans get to see you in a certain light so that they'll actually want to listen to your music. Um, That means you have to have photo packages in all different types of lights, whether it's live footage, uh, press photos uh, in the studio. Same thing with video. Um, You need a website. You need graphics, um, a brand, a trademark. Uh, album covers nowadays with social media you need to have cover photos uh, profile photos um, Spotify accounts Twitter uh, Instagram photos and graphics and it's very overwhelming and it could be very overwhelming for the artist so uh, I wanted to help out my friends Uh, I was in the music industry in a sense just more or less being a fan of music, and I had a lot of friends who were very talented musicians. So I put together things I've learned in previous jobs and uh, previous experiences and stuff, and I created an umbrella company that would do a little bit of everything for the struggling artists. Um, 
Did I know exactly what I was doing at the start? No. Um, uh, not at all. Um, there's a lot of contract stuff that goes involved that I still cannot wrap my head around. Will I get there? Absolutely. Um, so from there, you have to go ahead and teach yourself other aspects that will, you know, earn your respect and your reputation and stuff like that. So one thing I did and what everybody should do is network, but network in the right reasons. Um, know what you want. Know your limits. Know where not to approach and know how not to approach people. Um, I started uh, selling tamales for Dia de los Tamales, which was uh, a tamale restaurant that's located in Pilsen. They do a lot of vending at uh, music festivals. Uh, so I started at Coachella. And I drove 30 hours west with two people in a Honda Accord to sell tamales at Coachella. <laughs> and meet other people in the music industry, uh, but mostly because I love music. Uh, so, you know, when you're selling tamales, you don't ultimately, I don't know, I didn't ultimately take my job the most serious. I like music more than I like selling tamales, so I had fun and saw some incredible shows. <laughs> I got to work, I did my work, I got paid for it. Um, but ultimately, I was probably there on the wrong accord. Um, I worked with them one more gig at Bonnaroo, where I knew even more people that were working the festival. So I helped them with tamales, and they helped me with backstage passes. And I got to see Robert Plant like 10 feet away and uh, be right there in the VIP section for his show at Bonnaroo in 2015. And it melted my heart. He's one of the best singers of all time. Uh, I've made friends with uh, the people who own Walter Productions. Uh, they put on that big mobile stage calliope. And uh, it, you know, things took off after there. I was fired from selling tamales, probably due to having too much fun. And... Uh, networking off of tamales but uh the very next gig was i was working for uh the company that i'm working for now james thomas productions um and we we built mambi and like everybody that comes into the production side of things you usually have to come in on standby and i came in every single day on standby and they still didn't let me work show call so you had said um we built mambi for those who don't know what you're referring to what do you mean by built uh everything um so when it comes to building a music festival, there's a lot of things that go hand in hand with each other. There's a lot of different vendors that go there and we were specifically the labor vendors. And with James Thomas Productions, there are stagehands, forklift operators, riggers, crew chiefs, and labor coordinators uh, to distribute uh, you know, all the labor for the festival. So when the first semi trucks get to a festival site, they'll it'll probably all be steel, um, you know, scaff builds or pop up stages. Mambi, for example, was pop up stages and scaff because it was a smaller scale festival. And we just started building out, you know, the bases and putting up the pop up stages. So if you don't know what a pop up stage is, 
it's a semi truck that folds into a stage and folds out into a stage so a lot goes into it so me being this first time production personnel you know i've worked backline before with artists in the studio and stuff like that before this but i had no idea what anything was called when it came to building scaff i didn't know what anything was called when it came to lighting i didn't know what anything was called when it came to audio i was just happy to be there um to the point that i didn't even care uh that I didn't work any of the shows because I was just learning off. So we got there, we built the stage, we built all the VIP decks, uh, the ADAs, all the light trusts, all the video wall trusts, um, everything that goes into that stage. You put up the scenic, which is, you know, the, the banners and stuff that you see on each of the stages. Uh, and I fell in love right away. Uh, I worked north coast music festival that same year and this is my first year in production so we did the same thing at north coast and then that following weekend so this is the gruelingness of the industry so say you work 15 days straight of just hard manual labor and then there's a festival that goes back to back so north coast riot fest and then riot fest you have to work 15 days so you're working 30 straight days on your feet hard manual labor putting your life you're in a life and death situation every single day and this is my first year at riot fest and it was miserable weather it was terrible you know every time the rain would come in you're rolling these cases and bringing on all the production on the stages you get put them on your forklift but everything's muddy and wet i remember lugging billy idol's front of house council through like eight feet of rain like a puddle that was just on the side of the stage because the tour manager didn't want to uh, wait for a forklift to just take it off the front of the stage. Wow. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, it's just grueling. And uh, I took a step back, you know, it's just like, all right, well, let's see what I want to do next year. You know, I take the whole winter off uh, to help more bands and get to know more bands in Chicago to see if I could help them or people I was interested in. And I got fortunate the following year at summer camp, uh, the labor company made me a crew chief. This is only my second season. And I only worked th three gigs during my first season. So I was, you know, blown away with the opportunity that I had. But uh, I took it. I took so it. So what does a crew chief do? A uh, crew chief ultimately allocates the labor. Just leave that light. Yeah, you got Sorry. it. Sorry. You just keep moving it the whole time. I know. <laughs> Edit it. <laughs> uh, yeah, crew chief uh, allocates the labor according to the different divisions of labor. So say I'm the lead of a crew, I'm going to have to give the lighting vendor a certain amount of hands. Or I'm going to give the audio vendor a certain amount of hands. And ultimately, you want to put your best audio hands on audio, put your best lighting hands on lighting, and you double check all the work. You don't micromanage. You know, you teach people. Is there a typical standard with an expected a number or expected number of patrons um, in relation to how many hands you get to work with each for each festival? So 
it's usually up to the labor coordinator um, and they all check with the project managers, um, the, the production managers of a festival site, and then the production manager checks with all the vendors and they usually see how many hands that they'll need for a particular project depending on how much they have to do in that particular day. So they all get with each other. They find uh, enough they find enough people that they can use for a particular budget that they have for that particular day and then they make it work. You know, there might be some situations where a vendor might be short, but it's because they don't ultimately want to spend the budget and stuff like that. So you you were walking us through, and that was awesome. So you had your first summer. Um, you explained that really well. And then we're, we're at summer camp now, yeah. and you got your first... Uh, the crew, crew chief, chief gig. gig. So uh, my first crew chief, it was the easiest job I've ever done. So I was a crew chief there. There's a stage manager, and then I had one stagehand. It was a VIP tent at summer camp. We're familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you guys what year through. was that, by any chance? I think it was 2000. I'm just kidding. Maybe 16. 16. So like when okay. uh, Kyle Hansworth uh, Oh, yeah. That's awesome. It was That was a very cool show to be a part of because someone proposed right in front row of that show. And I was like, it's a beautiful beauty of music. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. We had a very nice summer camp in 2012. Um, it was really hot that year. It was like 100 every day, like super hot, super dusty. But it was just like amazing and uh i set up a vendor booth so i won us two free tickets two vip tickets and um i was like awesome we're gonna go right between the soul shine soul shine which is where like yonder yeah. and all them plays mm-hmm. and then there's that path that goes um from the soul shine up to the woods yeah um and we just set up right in front of there and just popped up a vendor booth like slang paintings all weekend. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> yup. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Sorry. Weekend. Sidebar. <laughs> anyway, carry on. We love summer camp. No, yeah. Uh, that was my first year going and my only year. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my friends that uh, I wanted to help out with music, they always went and they always came back with uh, what they call Wook Flu. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was Tell like, that doesn't whole. sound attractive. I don't want to go there and <laughs> no, come dude, back to talk really, up a lot. Hold on. Really. I'm someone who is not familiar with Wook, Wook flu. flu. I can imagine what it is, but help me out it's with some of the symptoms. It's just that gnarly cough that everyone comes home with. It's like just all up in... Think of dust in yeah. your nasal, nasal cavities and all up in your throat. And, and you're just like... <sighs> yeah, it's gnarly. <laughs> it's so bad. It's throaty. Got a case Ooh. of the Wook like, Flu. Everybody would, Summer camp was way too ratchet. And I'm not under, I'm not over exaggerating when I say everybody would come back and just have the gnarliest Wook Flu ever because uh. they all had... The gnarliest wood flu ever. <laughs> when you get it, there's no mistaking it. Yeah, yeah, and I like I would always be like, I don't want that. Yeah, yeah. And then I I went down for work purposes, so I was just like, cool, I'm in. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. So what? How much do you have to sacrifice your body for this industry? Your jobs in particular. Like every single day, I have no time to go to a chiropractor. I have no time to go to a masseuse. <laughs> I have no time to go to yoga. It's uh. You know, you can find time to have some downtime. You definitely get downtime. But uh, the fastest way to get to the top is to work until you're there. So I don't like to stop. Um, I'll go from festival to festival. 
um, building, learning, just doing more, getting to know more people. Uh, so, so you got your start in 15, 2015 selling tamales. Yes. 2016, you're already crew chief yes. at summer camp. And 2017 has some, or had some big events for you. Yeah, and, tell us about this summer. Yeah. How uh, did, how, things are, they, let me just say, from someone who's been able to watch people move yeah. through this, this is fast. Yeah. Do you yeah. feel like this is a fast progression or did you I, feel like... I knew it was a fast progression and people hate it. Yeah. And I feel that, but... I haven't done anything wrong yeah. to them. You know? yeah. so how do you deal with that personally? Because you have to be like a delegator when you're crew chief. Yeah. How do you deal with that and just be like, well, you deal. Like, that's not my problem that you're not okay with this. Yeah, you know, um, one thing about being expected to be in a managerial position or in a lead position is the fact that you have to be able to cope with any kind of personality. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, if I usually get some backlash, it's just like, come on, man, like, that's unnecessary. But, like, I'll go do it. That's fine. Or, like, uh, if it gets to a point where somebody is just becoming a cancer, you know, you, you try and get the best out of them. And if it's just not working, you usually just ignore them and then ask the person who's been doing a good job the whole day. Um, and if they continue to, still be um a problem you'll take them out over to the side yeah and so you said at managerial or in a managerial role you got to be prepared to deal with all types now the touring rigging circuit and the the mobile crew lifestyle that attracts a wide batch doesn't it yes okay yeah absolutely <laughs> so yeah i would imagine you're exposed to things that are beyond most people's spectrum yeah it's um the music industry is a very wild one um we were talking about it before this and there's things that people did back in the day that i don't know how they would be able to survive in this market in the, mo the modern market of music but there's still a lot of very wild times in the music industry and a very wild, a lot of wild people that come with it. Don't get me wrong. I had my wild days myself and uh, it's, it's almost, you have to experience every area of it, I guess, to, in order to understand. Um, there's people out there that, you know, I, I hope they, you know, seek help <laughs> or you know i i sought help when i needed it and stuff like that so i could feel for them and just be like come on man like i know you're better than this or something like that or what would be some major don'ts like if someone wanted to get into the realm that you're in and but they don't want to fuck up sometimes we just don't know what we don't know first thing not to do is to don't ever flake don't ever show up late and don't ever fuck up the third one I, I knew that I said it vague but uh, I've had mentors in this industry that have told me that what to do and they're very honest about hey do this and you'll succeed and you do that and you succeed and then there's people that are just like, oh, he's just blowing smoke up our ass. And, 
he doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet they're like the people in charge. It's like, why are you saying that? Because he's just trying to help you. Yeah. So if someone tells you don't fuck up by going and drinking when you're on the clock working show call, you don't drink when you're on the clock working show call because what if the promoter catches you? Who the hell is this guy with the crew member wristband that's in the VIP section getting after it, cutting the rug, got a beer bottle in his hand? What's up with that? Oh, well, everybody on the crew now gets their wristbands cut or something like that, you Mm -hmm. know? Or Thanks, you only us. get a you only get a wristband if you're working that day type of thing, and I've been in situations like that before, and I try to reiterate that to my fellow coworkers and stuff. It's be like this is not our party. We create this for the fans. We facilitate this for the artists. You know, it's it's bigger than the people that create the industry. It's for the people who don't ultimately know what these people are writing about, but it's. It's up to them to use their imagination for how it's going to help them. That's solid. It's deep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why does the music industry excite you? Ooh, I think just because of what I just said. Yeah. Uh, Like, I get chills thinking about it. Because growing up, you listen to the throwback music. And I like to think of music being a time of expressing art. And like the older music more, especially nowadays, you know, in the late 80s, I like to tell people that, you know, maybe even the early 80s, you know, you see it at late stages of Michael Jackson where music was starting to be over commercialized and kind of directive for the people that are actually listening to the music. And then in the 90s, you start seeing that a lot with, you know, the certain types of rock music that was out there and stuff like that. Um, you have your American idols. People, they're just directing you towards, like, marketing talent and stuff like that. Uh, where other people, you know, every, you've, you've had other people write people music f- since the beginning of time. But now it's like, well, does that person have any talent other than look good in front of the camera? Or does that song is that song's terrible for people to listen to it doesn't make any sense um and that happens a lot in commercialized music today but if it's got a catchy hook or catchy beat there's a dancey people are gonna you know finally get drilled in their head and start singing it it's marketing it's been tried and true just drill that stuff in your head yeah i i I'm confident that a more artistic approach of music is going to come back. Um, I, I see it every single day. There's very, very good artists out there. Uh, but there's just some things we have to get out of here. For sure. <laughs> so in, in our day-to-day or month-to-month, we have to balance the commercial work that we do or work that brings in that's guaranteed to bring in a sustainable yeah. income and the time that we spend towards passion projects or th- projects that we really wanted to be a part of. Um, do you feel like you have that, you have to ha- have more of that balance or with the um, group that you're working with, ha- does that provide more of a steady stream of paid gigs, paid gigs in the realm that you're most interested in? Like, are you, are you at the, 
the um, are you at the network that produces all the gigs that you like, or are you at a, a network or at a, a group where they're producing constant work? I would say I'm finally at a point where I'm comfortable. Yeah. Um, when I first started, how we already talked about that, I remember Ubering, and I Ubered forever to the point that I hated it. Gotcha. As in driving, you're yeah. Uber driver. Yeah. Okay. To and balance out the income. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it gave me the time to work on my passion project. But uh, it's when I started talking about helping artists and stuff, I went all in right from the start. Gotcha. And I started Ubering to do that, and I was uh, slanging tamales, for lack of a better <laughs> phrase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Was it a reference that we're, we should pick up later? Everybody, everybody always thinks I'm saying slang and Molly. Yeah, oh. slang and tamales. Slang no, and tamales. no, no, I was not. You were slang and tamale. I got yeah. it. You're slang and tamale. Wait, you're selling Molly? No, tamales. That's tamales. great. Oh, so uh, what? What are some of the coolest festivals you've got to work with? And tell us about your roles within those festivals. ACL is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a lot of it just because the grounds are so mm-hmm. great. Zilker mm-hmm. Park, it's incredible. Um, so someone who doesn't know, we have a lot of parents who watch this. Like all of yeah. our guest parents will then like the plug and then they see all our episodes. So like ACL, what's that? Uh, Austin City Limits Music Festival. Awesome. So uh, that's kind of inspired off of the TV show Austin City Limits, which is uh, filmed in a theater in Austin that has some of the best musicians to come on that show and it's like very impossible to get a ticket to see that the actual live performance but they air it all the time um willie nelson got his like big start on austin city limits and stuff like that uh did you get to work a show like that uh the austin city limits show yeah no oh no no but like a willie nelson oh i did work yeah. willie nelson last year that's awesome, awesome. Tell was, us about it was, that. uh it was incredible so where was it it was at Austin City Limits. Awesome. Um, and he didn't play the first weekend. Austin City Limits is two weekends. It's right there at Zilker Park. Uh, it's right uh, on the outskirts of the downtown area. Uh, there's like eight stages. It might be considered like a Lollapalooza times five or something when it comes to like just what it has going on there. And uh, the second weekend was uh, Willie Nelson played before the Mumford and Sons. And... Uh, this is when I was still a stagehand. This was my first traveling gig. And uh, I impressed a lot of people. Uh, you know, worked the same as I always do. And Matthew McConaughey shows up out of nowhere. <laughs> and like, oh, yeah, I'm know. eating my food, sitting down on a tree after I was just like reconnected with Wild Bell. Uh, they're a group from Chicago that moved to LA since becoming famous. And uh, Matthew McConaughey shows up out of nowhere with his family, and like I see him, and this is like one of my favorite actors of all time. So I give him the you know the horns. Uh, he's a you know Texas Longhorn, and uh, he gives it right back. And so you know I just proce- uh, proceeded to work the rest of the the night. And uh, before Willie Nelson went out, Matthew McConaughey. You know, just introduces Willie Nelson, and that was really cool. And uh, Willie went proceeded to uh, crush it. You know, he's still kicking, still alive and well. Um, 
I helped out with uh, loading up the grand piano at the end of the night. Uh, they gave me a Willie Nelson pick. That was fun. And then uh, after the Mumford and Sons, so uh, I was set up to do the back line for Mumford and Sons. So I broke down the drum kit. And it's always usually fun to work uh, breaking down the drum kit because it's usually knowing you know what you're doing or something because there's a lot of different shit that goes hand-in-hand hand with doing the drum kit. So I'm in a green Mumford & Sons stage shirt at this point, and then out of nowhere, someone taps me on the back and, like, turns me around, and it's Matthew McConaughey, and he, he just shakes my hand. And I didn't. I had no words. I was just like, "Oh, oh this is awesome!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> and just proceeded just to continue to work. And uh, if it wasn't for Willie Nelson, I probably would have never met Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> Who go. am I a bigger fan of, Matthew McConaughey or Willie Nelson? I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> well, there's the intro clip. Pretty, for sure. pretty deep cut to know know that about the Matthew McConaughey. Hey, we yeah. did not know that. Hey, <laughs> learn something new every day. Definitely. So you said you were given a pick in this role. You must you must get a a ton of really cool souvenirs and um, just other things that is evidence of what you're doing. What's been your favorite thing to quote, your favorite unquote, ground score? Yeah, My favorite ground score. <laughs> we can introduce ground score at this time. Uh, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> that's a hard one. Uh, I got. Uh, haywire's keyboard stand that's not that cool yeah that's tight that's no cool. that's awesome <laughs> it's like it's just a generic pro line you know <laughs> you still, just did he give it, it to you no <laughs> <laughs> <There's> just, <laughs> and that's the thing is it's like well nobody else is here on the festival yeah like production's all gone what are, the back line's all gone like the artist is gone mm-hmm. like why don't they get their stuff so at the end of the day you might not even want to put this on. Yeah, we'll yeah. cut this. Don't worry. <laughs> like, yeah, no, because um, uh, most of our friends who watch this, you might like, get the, an email. The Bruce City based people, like they just booked Haywire. Yeah. Like they booked. Hey all man, the time. this guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We, we, he has your keyboard stand. Um, yeah. I was thinking that. I'm like, dude. Yeah. Uh, the Marfam's gonna be watching. Yeah. This. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's great. It's like because uh, that's like ground score. You know, it's like you really ultimately have to ask the right questions in right. order to get some cool stuff mm-hmm. like, like i've gotten 60 bucks like that was a cool ground score that's a good one. Uh, that's a good one. but like uh i've had a lot of drum uh drum techs give me like drumsticks and stuff mm-hmm. so that's cool working quest loves uh drum kit uh i got quest love drumsticks that's awesome that was really sweet um twiggy from rob zombie who mm-hmm. was also the Marilyn manson drummer got his drumsticks that was really cool uh then the mumford and sons uh cut copy drumsticks uh, and then recently I just got gladness, but like they're not drummers. They just play the beat pads. <laughs> they, that was at Countdown just recently. Cool. Uh, so ACL was amazing for you. ACL. So what more, came after that? Yeah. So after ACL is Voodoo, which is in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, New Orleans is like my favorite city. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a smaller festival. It's like four stages. It's uh, up and coming. They have one stage that's an EDM stage. Uh, I got to lead that this year, uh, which is cool. Because last year I was like it was my first day riding a fork, so they put me into the gauntlet of riding a fork. I had to move three delay towers six feet, and it was already built. And have you you guys know what a delay tower is, right? So it's a thing that stands in the middle of a field 
with a line array on it so the people in the way back of the crowd can hear the show so there's two forks i was in a straight mass there's another straight mass in front of me and then there's a telescope fork behind me extended completely out just holding the top of it and this is probably the only time i've ever worn a seat belt and a fork <laughs> i thought i was gonna die for sure if this thing falls on me <laughs> um and that happened and it, well it didn't fall on me <laughs> but <laughs> so we we moved them all three and uh i got it done it was scary what was that lineup like on that stage oh that was um who was it that year? That was uh, not LCD Sound System was this year. Last year, it was uh, Arcade Fire, mm-hmm. Tool, mm-hmm. and The Weeknd. Oh, tight. That's <laughs> awesome. The craziest thing was uh, working the loadout for Arcade Fire. They had all these people come on stage in Halloween costumes, and they all had like these big paper mache heads. Well, one of them comes off, and it's the Pope, and turns around, and it's Woody Harrelson. I was just like, what? What is going on? That's awesome. Like, I'm just not, me and my other forklift partner, we were just like, what? This, this is in New Orleans. Yeah. Dang. <laughs> like, right after the Arcade Fire show, I was just like, what the heck's going on? <laughs> Unless it's a guy that looks like Woody Harrelson that was really <laughs> a hot, sweaty mess as the Pope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And then the rest of the band just comes off and stuff. It was, it was a fun show. Um, I like New Orleans. Uh, the one thing about uh, working voodoo is that for now, we'll probably, I won't have the chance or near chance of working Suwanee Huluween. Oh, yeah. And Or what is it? Suwanee? Yeah. Suwanee Huluween. And that's like, I've heard. It's amazing. It's an amazing yeah. festival. One of the best there is. And for me, it's just like. I think I only have probably like a handful, maybe two handfuls of festivals that I need to work before mm-hmm. I've worked like all the major ones in the United States now. So it's like, I want to get that off the bucket mm-hmm. list, but like at the end of the day, it's just like, you got to put your ego away and just do what you got to do. Right. I mean, it's like, it's a string cheese festival. So once you've done one, you've done them all. <laughs> hey, you said it. <laughs> just saying, talk about look flu. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of how I got my exposure to the festival world was like that string cheese like route um, 2012. It was like Forest. Um, then we went out to Red Rocks, cheese at Red Rocks, and then all the way out to Oregon for string Horning cheese at Horning Side Out. Yeah. So I got my, um, I heard so many arguments about fish, cheese, fish, cheese, which one's better? You're like you can't, I'm like, dude. That's one of the things that like. Uh, I'm not gonna say it annoys me, mm-hmm. but it drives me crazy. It drives me insane because it's like that's you guys are jam band fans hating on other jam bands, <laughs> hippie fighting, like <laughs> y'all hippie fighting, and that's like, that's a big thing uh, in music is the fact that you have to look at music as art. You can't look at it as like your opinion's better. <laughs> it's, it's straight up. Yeah. So we went ACL. Um, voodoo. Now what's next from this past summer? Uh, this past summer, mm-hmm. EDC Orlando. Mm-hmm. So that was like EDC Vegas on a small scale. So there was three stages there. And with a similar type of DJs that played there in the summer at EDC Vegas. They you tried did Vegas to, too? Yeah. Oh, cool. What, what was that like? EDC Vegas is 
in uh, the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and eight stages of eight, just very elaborate stages. That's uh, you're we're out in the desert. This is during June for a whole month, and we're working at night, and the the weather is still like 118 degrees outside. And it's crazy. It's, it's the <laughs> hottest thing. It's very uncomfortable. So work, work us through that day. You get there, you're on site. What's day one like? Uh, day one, you start. So I was working stage three this year, which was circuit grounds. And we had to lay girders and I-beams and stuff and make the bases for the stage. Um, the stage was built as a outdoor arena. So one side was a VIP section that... Um, was selling bottles at $3,500, I think. Maybe, like, bottle packages for thirty five grand, And then the other side was, like, a one section uh, that somebody bought for, like, $150,000. And then the main section was just this huge stage that was built for just, like, a DJ booth. Like, a DJ booth, like, with a platform, video walled, and then there was like three triangles that were built up of video wall and lights and stuff and pyro that was like 100 feet 100 feet tall 90 feet 100 feet and uh so every single day on that gig i was a rigger so that's when you go up in the air the 90 feet and you make sure that everything gets put together and this was like my second gig doing such things so I was learning a lot from the older guys and stuff, and it, it's, it's pretty scary stuff. Uh, there was a day out there that uh, there was only four of us that were up in the air because the winds were at like 35 mile per hour sustained. So you're supposed to come down around that time, but we needed to get stuff done. So they're just like, well, uh, if <laughs> you guys aren't comfortable doing this, like you guys can come down, which ultimately means like, hey, you guys are the guys go do it. <laughs> yeah and yeah so i was learning from the older guys so it was just kind of like i had i couldn't say no and then they couldn't say no because they yeah. knew how to do it so i'm up there with them and it's so funny because like you hear it's like oh this this isn't good <laughs> <laughs> and like i'm looking over and it's just like what <laughs> like this is bad this this is not good. This is bad. <laughs> and like, I'm just, okay, what do you need me to do? What, what Let's next? Let's get it done. Yeah, right. Yeah. Get down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody else is up here and, doing it. <laughs> you know, when you're, you're boom lift, you know, when you're up 90 feet and it just sways back and forth. Yeah. You, you feel like you're swaying the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, and that's probably one of the da- most dangerous gigs. So that one's in June. All of June. We usually have all of July off. Um, so I just got back from Countdown. Countdown nice. was a New Year New Year's Eve festival in San Bernardino, California. Very nice. Yeah, it was fun. How'd that, you like it? How'd it was you? it was it was a simple gig. Yeah. You know, they had uh, circus tents set up already. The um, Insomniac has a lot of gigs out there at the San Bernardino uh, Event Center. I don't know what it's called. Uh, but they leave up circumstance for probably like four to five months out of the year. And they'll just, we'll just come in there and build stages according to the insomniac events that they need. Um, so yeah, we just came in and it was pretty, you know, cakewalk gig and 
had a good New Year. Dead Mouse played. He uh, he did a collaboration with Rick and Morty. For, wow. <laughs> for the, for the uh, New Year's Eve ball drop. And it was like uh, his cube was set up as like a bomb. And Rick and Morty come like just come on the screen and just start like talking about how the whole place is going to blow up. That's awesome. Yeah. They were actually involved? Uh, yeah, they did like the, the vocals and stuff. Oh, that's yeah. tight. I don't, I don't know if they were. I didn't see them there. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think Dead Mouse had them uh, do the vocals and stuff and do the cartoon. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. The legit collab. Yeah. <laughs> collab. Hey, yeah. hey, do you want to collab? <laughs> Bro. Bro. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So settle the um, the argument in the scene right now. Uh, function, function ones. ones or PK <laughs> sound or a third. Um, the unknown third at this point. Um, function one is uh, our very good, speak, uh, very good speakers. Sound system for... I would say any like electronic shows, a very heavy bass. I've seen Function One speakers that go up to like here from the floor. That just like blow you, blow you right over. You go to Carl Cox uh, Mega Structure at Ultra, and they have these Function Ones that are seriously probably the same size as this apartment. Wow. Yeah. Um, I like uh, the acoustics. Um, it's like a maroon cabinet. That's what they use at. Uh, ACL, and I think ACL is the best sound. Gotcha. And uh, a lot of it has to do with like sound projection. So, say if I'm a fan and I'm sitting in between three stages at ACL, I can only hear the one that I'm like closest to, wow. as opposed to having bleeding sound, yeah. which is very important when it comes to festivals. Like people are always changing the angles of their s- stages, the uh, the degrees of their you know line arrays and stuff like that to get their projection to be just perfect. And like a lot of the festivals in Chicago, you have a lot of bleed mm-hmm. from their festivals and stuff like that. So you want to get away from stuff like that so you can enjoy the show, show better. And that's mainly the reason why ACL is my favorite festival. Sound. It's all about sound. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Let's talk about some hot topics. Um, we don't typically get into this just because um, you know, politics, but it's kind of hard it's not to, today. you know, yeah. I just... I just well, are you comfortable with that? Heck yeah! Will I you, think it's an important topic. Will you tell us your like thoughts about Donald Trump? Because a lot of people think Scott is a Trump supporter. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> You've been telling everyone. Sometimes I Trump. go on the sidewalk. I'm like, he's a Trump supporter. <laughs> <laughs> Politics, yeah. Woo. Uh, well, today we it, we had the um, president of the country that we all live in um, debase. De- debase immigration policies based on uh, ratio. Uh, well, just broke broke countries down to he the called majority them race. Called yeah, <laughs> called people shitholes, and then aligned himself with what would be s- similar with the nationalist movement. We need more people that align with, or that are of Anglo-Saxon descent to come to our country. This I feel like as a politician. In any in any regard, ha, is unacceptable. I think it's at a point where this is it needs to be addressed. It needs to it, we can no longer sweep that. Oh, he's just an old angry white guy. That and this should be expected. We just overlook what he's saying over there um, because he's still responsible for everything we care about over here. Yeah, and we don't want to overturn the shit. I don't think that it's appropriate. However, I also don't 
I'm not at a position outside of this platform to say um, revolt. Uh, well, revolt. Fucking. Uh, what do we do? <laughs> like, fucking, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. So if you see your opportunity to push against this, um, push against whatever this is, even if it's just speaking about it, um, what this is our opportunity to yeah. speak about it. Here's what you got to do. You got to start a podcast. You got to invite <laughs> people on it. And then you got to talk about Trump and how he needs to get impeached. <laughs> Uh, the only problem with that is just too much talking, not enough action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to live my life and not talk about politics, but for the sake of this, <laughs> I would definitely talk about politics. Uh, we almost had it right uh, when he first was elected. Uh, the only way we're going to make a difference if we don't have trillions of dollars to be the one who gets elected is have have to have a full out revolution. You can't just talk about a revolution. You can't you can't uh protest. What's protesting do anymore? Don't do anything. I think what we can do is vote or make our choices heard with our dollars. Yeah. Spend in the direction that you want and there's support. so many people. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing is there's so many people with so many different values that there's still probably going to be a lot of people spending their dollars against you. For sure. But like the the uh, hor- digital horizon, Netflix and Hulu, if you've seen their content, um, they are definitely in the forefront of entertainment in the entertainment industry mm-hmm. now as people have spoken with their dollar. No one wants to have cable anymore. Ca- no. Cable. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't have a TV here. Right. I, I got rid of cable. Yeah. yeah. And it, this is this is not, not only a trending topic anymore. It's yeah. the standard. Yeah. Right. This is what's going on. And Netflix and Hulu are in an arms race. Like Netflix, what did Netflix just get? Netflix just got everything. No, oh they- my goodness, they got. <laughs> Um, they got uh, uh, The Godfather. They got everything from Martin Scorsese. They got everything from uh, uh, Kubrick. They got everything with Steven Spielberg. They're making great deals. They just volleyed a bunch of NBC shows to Hulu. Hulu. Um, and Hulu then bought back a lot of the originals like Full House. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, Netflix Which, also got comedians in cars getting coffee purchased awesome. right out from Crackle. Crackle, <laughs> the free TV website. It was awesome because they bring the adverti- money from traditional advertising. But um, it's just nuts. We're yeah. living in such a unique age of media. Yeah. And to see something like that where um, Crackle put in a Millions of dollars into what's his name? Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. That one guy. Yeah, that one guy. You might have heard of him. I don't know. He st- his show did something in the nineties. We see him on buses all the time. Still, I don't know. Still doing stand up. Sinfeld, Sinbad. I don't know which one. But um, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah that was wild. a fully funded series, and then it was bought again. Yeah. By mm-hmm. because we're by at Netflix. a point. By Netflix, where yeah. they're at a point where it's like, well, we'll try whatever it mm-hmm. takes. Reruns are out of here. Now it's just streaming the seasons. Mm-hmm. Like if cable TV, where 
we would have to watch Seinfeld as just watching it reruns over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Now we can watch whatever rerun we want. Mm-hmm. So is, <laughs> I guess the question then is, is there any subscription service for politics? Is there yeah. any way politics. that we can uh, monthly subscribe to get the people we think will have the best? Oh my gosh, like a monthly fee yeah. for your politician? For like the, the like Bernie... This guy's going to legalize weed. <laughs> he gets six ninety nine a month. Six ninety nine a month to go yeah. travel the world and yeah. forget your TV. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. That's the thing is... Uh, Politicians using Patreon now. Mm. I'm so I'm so glad to work in the music industry because it's like I'm always busy. Yeah. And uh, I'll check out to see what's going on in current events, but it's just like, does that? I don't know how does that affect me really? Because like, I got my life figured <laughs> I out. I got stuff to do, man. <laughs> Entertainment industry is the biggest in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know if you guys know this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. Politics are crazy, yeah, and they always have been crazy. And what's the right answer? I I saw something today on Facebook, and Facebook is getting out of control. Someone was just like, George Bush wasn't that bad. Now, <laughs> thank you. You're just ridiculous because you probably were the same person that hated him. Mm-hmm. Is it is it ever going to be good enough for you? Just live your life. I think that was a Joe Rogan bit, actually. I think mm. he was saying there's going to be a violent swing back and forth where from Joe Rogan, then, or not Joe Rogan, from uh, George Bush, you see um, the swing back to Democratic and more more liberal, and you get Barack Obama yeah. as the pendulum swings mm-hmm. that way. And now we're on the far end. I don't know, man. Yeah, I feel not. like it's a circus. and yeah, <laughs> I'm just trying to stay alive. Yeah. When Donald Trump got elected president, I called out of work. I was in Chicago at the time. I had a gig going on. I called out of work. They were pissed. We had 17 shootings that weekend in oh, our city. Shit. There was people getting pulled out of cars, <laughs> getting beat up bad. I think I made the right choice. Did that person, like, did I ever accept one of their jobs again? No. You know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know. But in order to have a better political system, or to get Trump out of there, I guess we have to have a revolution. But is anybody willing to do that? Probably not. So would you consider the way you live your life with, you know, traveling a lot, doing the gig economy thing, um, is that sort of a revolution with your own personal life? Yeah, and uh, I I say that because it's I'm I've always known what I've wanted in life, and so right now I'm achieving those goals, and I'm living the American dream in order to do what I want, I love to do, and try to make as mo- much money as I can about what I'm the most passionate about. And what happens at the end of the day? Have I made a difference or if I have not made a difference? You know, I, I would like to make a difference. Um, hell, uh, what the hell was Donald Trump thinking back in the day? He's like, well, I'm going to make a ton of money and maybe I'll run for president. 
and then he ran for president, and then uh, he became president. And now we're all fucked. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, I think, you know, you get somebody with the same values as Mother Teresa with the same mind frame, I think we'd be pretty good, pretty well off. Do you think it took a, a candidate like Donald Trump to exploit or at least highlight how vulnerable our political system is? To show us, look, this, like, Equifax got hacked, and that highlighted how many or how vulnerable our own credit history is. So, but and it said it, which identifies. Look, we have to address these problems here, here, and here. Is this politician succeeding in that campaign um, an example of how flawed that system was? Thus, the real call to action should be: Look, we got to fix our political system and how we put people into office. Yeah, I think uh, the political system right now is total chaos. Um, and that's because we have no idea how it works. And the people that are in office, uh, they they know how it works. Lobbyists, money, you do this and I'll give you this much money. Do this because that person was about to tell on me for doing something. Um, and there's a lot of, I would say, greedy values that go in hand in hand with politics. Um, you ha- like There's statistics of people's children who are getting paid off in you know election time uh, uh, ad campaigns stuff like that and everybody the money's going to all different types of people that had no part of it um, you see stuff like that uh, or if Mueller's uh, on the case he's showing you where the money actually came from <laughs> uh, yeah. a little hammer and sickle there yeah. on every dollar I'm changing bill. direction real quick please uh- <laughs> yeah it's about yeah. time Paul Politics. So yeah, all three of us are not qualified to talk about politics. No, but I, it's okay. I actually studied politics. That was my first major in college, and no then way. I left. Yeah. Because it's so garbage. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is like, it's chaos, and mm-hmm. the way that it's ran creates that chaos. That's there's definitive terms in politics, you know. But the entertainment business, oh, now that makes perfect sanity. sense. That is uh, vanity right there. It's, well, it's built off a hierarchy, and yeah. so it's really easy to see what you need to do to move ahead and all that. Um, something you're probably very familiar with. Uh, one thing I do really want to talk about, um, we are all, our collective friends, Dr. Charlie and Jason Womp of Plaid Hawaii. Yeah. Let's talk about the work you've gotten to do with them. I know you've worked with both of them individually and also together. Definitely. Um, when I met you at North Coast, uh, it's really when I approached Charlie for the first time. And my body was hurting. So I was just like, oh, man, can I, uh, can I get an adjustment, please? I think it's free for the production people, too, right? And uh, he's like, yeah, come back tomorrow. He's like, actually, I had to you know, do an adjustment for one of the artists. Uh, we'll reschedule. I was like, here, I got a better idea. I'm going to feature you. I'm going to write about you. And, you know, while you give me this, uh, this is back, uh, adjustment, adjustment, back massage. Yeah. (laughs) 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 I wish. (laughs) No. Uh, yeah. An adjustment. And, uh, so he came over to my place. He brought the ginger, uh, shot drinks Mm -hmm. and it it wakes you up and it's, it's incredible. And then he worked on me and I felt so much better. And that was probably one of my favorite uh, articles that I got to write. And, uh, he platformed it and. Rock Tape ended up like reaching out to me and gave me some free stuff, and uh, Cherub platformed it, and I felt pretty uh, accomplished at that point. Yeah, that's and, tight. Uh, 
so you know that was a cool time in my life and it's been great to uh get to know charlie and stuff like that uh when he introduced me to uh Platte hawaii he um he brought me out to the shows and stuff so i got to check out uh to see what his like debut show at concord was like and got to do it's kind of like a a written assessment of the show and then uh yeah it was it was very cool i, I like doing that uh I, I had a band that had me out to do a live, you know, take on the show before, and it's I I like it better. Um, you know, you have articles like Pitchfork, um, who are gonna listen to a song and then review it, or listen to an album and then review it. And I'd rather just see it all live and then review it, and just tell people how the experience was and you know stuff like that. So that was uh, he's doing very well for himself now. They're, they're both all of them yeah <laughs> it. Um, they Mike Dom's doing well for himself too now uh, all of them everybody uh, I think we're all doing pretty well for ourselves we all have a good header on our shoulders uh, we all know how to help each other so it's uh, keep much, those people close how much does that play into it um, helping each other it, it, it plays a lot into it uh, you know but you can you can be successful in any direction any lane that you stay in it that's the biggest key is stay in your lane you stay in your lane and you help people that are in other lanes and you are going to have you're going to be able to help people if you're doing the same thing somebody else is and you're trying to help that person by doing the same thing he's doing just probably going to step on each other's toes a little bit so yeah, it's uh, networking is like a big thing. You know, all these companies who got so big were all once like local businesses. Mm-hmm. And that's like a big thing with the hierarchy of music. It's, oh, oh, you're just a person and you own this company? Man, it's a pleasure. Will you tell us a little bit more about the hierarchy just from the inside view of what you've come to know about it? Um. Pay your dues. Play the game. Uh, be real. Have integrity. And people like having you around. That's ultimately, I would say, the equation for it. Uh, what People don't like this, the term, what have you done for me lately? But uh, in the music industry and business in general, in the real world, I, I like to live with what have I done for you lately? Because that makes me feel more able as a person or that I'm actually doing good work. You know what I'm saying? That's solid. Yeah. Definitely. Is yeah. there Are there a few more things you want to touch on? And I think we got a ton of content. Definitely. I think, yeah. we, I think we should sample some tracks. Yeah. yeah. Some of the um, people you've been working That's one with. thing we haven't really talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're going back to uh, helping artists and stuff... Um, there's one guy that I just started uh, helping out. It's my first executive producer project, and his name is John Rutherford. Uh, he's an older gentleman from Mobile, Alabama, and uh, he's working in the production realm. He knows all about music. He's lived through it all when it comes to like town buying and booking and stuff like that, and has just never had his chance. So I, you know, I stuck my leg out there and uh, I gave him a shot. He bought a ticket. Uh, and he took a bus from Philly to Chicago. And I had him at my place for like three weeks. 
and we recorded an album in my basement and uh it's coming out pretty well um we're in the mastering phases right now and it's a country blues album with a little bit of psych on it and there's some uh elements that sound a lot like uh willie nelson and i i like to hear that it's just uh the mastering it takes a long time you know that's one thing you never really want to put a deadline on anything especially something that you want to put a lot of effort into uh, especially when it has to stand on its own creative legs exactly you know, like it's not it's not for the commercial appeal yes that is the, but that's that's secondary that comes yeah. later yeah and that's you what know? i told him it's uh yeah okay now it's in the mastering process it's probably going to take a little bit of time after that we'll get it distributed and then we can do whatever you want with the albums and stuff if you want me to reach out to helping um to get sponsorship for the album there's a song that's uh called ode to Stroves on it and i think it would be a perfect jingle for ode to the Stroves beer oh nice yeah and he has something he was uh drinking when he was younger and he's like man i haven't had a Stroves in forever and i'm walking down chicago like uh walking down north avenue when I was out here with him recording and I see a sign that says Stroh's and so like we just walked around and started filming like a music video for it and I go in there with a business card I was like hey can we get a case of that Stroh's you got there and uh they said yeah I'm not gonna say what bar though okay (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna say what bar I might get in trouble um but uh a second project that I was working on uh this guy Gunrunner his name is Paul Simon and his brother was like my mentor for like learning steel in the production realm. And uh, his brother does the same thing too. Paul does this. And he's probably one of the best rappers I've heard in a long time. And he brings back that nice 90s gangster rap uh, that we all so much need back. You know, your Tupacs, your Biggies, the Snoop Dogs, stuff like that, Jada Kiss. We need that back. Very much so, and uh, so I took the time to uh, just help him as much as possible. Uh, I worked on a logo with him, made him a trademark logo, uh, and then I just got done finishing his website, which was www.officialgunrunner.com. And uh, he have, have you gotten hit up by any um, anyone looking to buy a gun yet? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, he actually gets the name for. Uh, he, he grew up in New York, and uh, he ended up moving to Virginia, but uh, he, uh, he definitely had uh, the trials and tribulations of, uh, you know, the streets, and uh, he knew a lot about guns, so they gave him the, the, the term gun runner, uh, but I'm very happy with that project. And I think you have that clip. Uh, yeah. That's that Biggie, Jay-Z, and Nas song. Will, will we hit uh, any copyright issues if we play it? No. no. Okay. Yeah, you can cool. play that. He'd be happy. Sweet. And uh, we're working on booking him a tour up right now. Yeah, go. Go, Ninja, go. I'm here to take it from perpetrators and frauds And this the new purple trip, so of course I'm the new chef I turn you into steaks for the starving I'm the new Biggie, Jay-Z and Nas, yeah 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 
And my album's the new Illmatic Reasonable doubt in the chronic dope for the real addict I'm ready to die for this shit I can make a whole record off a two second coming quotes and it's still classic I'm the new Biggie Big L and Pop reincarnated Hip-hop's new Dark Vader Copping the court cases, been lying the Caucasians Picasso the art mazes, they study my art because it's outrageous uh, The modern day Miles Davis, I'm KRS 1000 A thousand feet off the ground, making some ground breaking shit Born to fly, lifted off a new high, looking like the new version yeah, that's yeah. tight. That's he, awesome. He's very good. Yeah, that's a, that's an awesome. <laughs> that's track. not a sound you hear anymore. I know. It's, it's really not. It's that New York, that New York flavor, man. I I missed it for a long time, and I I heard him. Uh, he, you know, he has a family, and uh, he ended up going to jail, living through some really terrible shit, and he just had enough with it, and he's just like, I'm gonna learn music business. I'm gonna make an album, and then so that's the single for uh, "Separation of Darkness and Light," which is a uh, kind of just the whole story about pretty much that, you know, just learning from the streets and then coming out from it, and uh, you know, raising a family. Now it's pretty cool. There's like 19 tracks on that first album, and it just breaks it all down, and it's really, really deep. Yeah. Getting the chills talking about. Well, that's, that's really cool. That actually brings up a question I have. Uh, see, when you're working with these artists, do you encourage, obviously you have like you have them focus on their authenticity, but do you encourage them to focus on their personal story when uh, creating music? Or do you, how, yeah. how do you coach them through that yeah, um, in your different roles with them? You know, uh, every artist is different. Uh, and there's some artists that can't be coached. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some people that get it. Um, you know, some of the best music that you listen to has a story. Um, a, a lot of people who make the best albums write a story from track one to the last track on the album. And you listen to that whole album and start to finish, and it's just like, that was incredible. And that's some of the, that's some of the best listening I like to do, uh, personally. Um, but yeah, so... Usually you want to have a story. Uh, every album, you want to have a theme. Uh, you look at David Bowie, he had so many different themes per albums and so many different sounds going on from that. And it's mm-hmm. funny, I could make a connection from a rap album to mm-hmm. a David Bowie album. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... So you mentioned he had a tough life growing up, was from the hood. Um, what was your background like as a child? Childhood? My background, uh, so my family it comes from Chicago. Uh, I grew up in Elk Grove Village. Illinois and I played hockey my whole life but before I really chose to take hockey seriously I was skateboarding one of those skater punk rock kids always listening to music my parents were big on uh, like Frank Sinatra like Nat King Cole like a lot of like the the Rat Pack and Dean Martin Sammy Davis Jr. a lot of that stuff growing up like oldies Elton John's uh Phil Collins's Genesis's Fleetwood Mac's. I got a lot of musical inspiration from my parents. Uh, my brother, you know, the Doors, the Beastie Boys, the Biggie, Tupac, uh, Steve Miller Band. What else? Metallica. A lot of like a lot of different stuff. And then there was my sister, was like the Beatles, stuff like that. And then all the skater punk rock music. You know, the Misfits, Rancid, AFI, stuff like that. And Music was something that I always held on to, uh, much like hockey. 
but uh, my dad never bought me a guitar because my brother never played one that he bought him. Uh, <laughs> those older siblings yeah, always right. <laughs> ruin those opportunities exactly. for you. <laughs> exactly. So, so when I was 15, I just pursued my hockey career. And uh, I was never really around in high school or anything. I was always out playing hockey tournaments and stuff. And That's awesome. What position did you play? I was a forward. Awesome. So either right wing, left wing, or center. Yeah. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I moved away from home, lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, pursued like a semi-pro hockey league. It was called Junior Hockey, USHL, for the Lincoln Stars. And then that led me to a full scholarship at St. Lawrence University. That's where Grace Potter went. Wow, Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was very fortunate. You know, it's one of those things I might have not tried as hard in high school, but I knew hockey was going to take me someplace, so I chose a very good school. It's <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of my athletic abilities here. And I uh, went to a very good school, got a good education, studied economics, uh, worked for IMG out in New York City. And uh, after that, I got homesick and moved home to Chicago, and that's when I just felt inspired to help my friends. That's a, And that would have been two, 2015. Uh, 2012. 2012. Yeah, 2012. So I went through an interesting period from like 2012 to 2015. Really? Ooh, who didn't? Yeah, right. Like, what rabbit hole did I fall down? So (laughs) I came back out of Bonnaroo and I was like, yeah, I know exactly what I want to do. That's cool. Yeah, leave it up to Bonnaroo. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys ever done that festival? I haven't. Oh, that's cheers. One to do. It was crazy. That's all I'm going to leave it at. Right on. That's great. Great. Well, I'm wrapped. Um, I have had two 15 hour days in a row. Hey, yeah, that's true. I'm not going to tell you when to stop your show. <laughs> um, did you want to play guacamole just on the way out? And then and maybe say something about it, or uh, that's rage, uh, rage God. Yeah, let's just add him in. Uh, we could. You guys are editing it, so yeah, uh, of course. Another guy that I've been uh, working with uh, when it comes to like helping him package and brand himself. Uh, been working on a logo for him. We haven't found one that quite fits the brand. His name's Rage God. Uh, he used to go by Free Pizza or Pizza Hendrix. Uh, he was a producer that like opened up before uh, like Big Gigantic a couple times, and was doing very well for himself. And came out uh, with this new um, rap album, which is kind of like the modern rap uh, that we're hearing today with uh, the more uh, mumblecore values. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is really good. This is really good stuff when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite song by him. It's called Guacamole. Is this someone you work with? Uh, I help him out every once in a while. He'll pick my brain and I'll tell him what's up. I try to help out as much as possible. Do I feel like I get taken advantage sometimes? Yeah, but it's all part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh,. I, when I had my studio, there'd be artists coming over, and I'd be like, can I just like tell them to stop playing music? Never. Mm-hmm. What kind of manager would I be? Yo, guys, you guys gotta stop being 
creative. <laughs> uh, power it down. Um, we gotta stop. Bring it down. You know, I'd always try to let them know. I was like, yo, I gotta get up early in the morning if we can not have a jam on session night. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> and then it would still happen, and that's kind of when I'm like, yo, guys, like, did you hear what I said? Do you see these eyes right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one good way to sign off on this episode is a message to any aspiring artist, artist who could hypothetically come to you with uh, looking for advice. And if uh, if they want, if you were to give them a nugget or two, maybe a do and a don't, um, uh, what what would get these artists on a good step? to finding a manager that they can work with, um, marketing coordinator, maybe some bookers. Um, how can how can these artists become better people to work with and to start assembling a team for themselves? Ultimately, just figuring out what they want out of their music. Um, who do they want to help? How do they want their music to be? Um, therapy for somebody else that's listening to it. Um, figure that out first. And then uh, know the nature of the beast, which is, you know, you're going to need to get a photographer. You're going to need to get a videographer. You're probably going to need a graphic designer. You're going to need all of the above to help you out. Web developer, um, a booking agent who helps you book shows. That's probably the most important thing, although they're very expensive. So it's not cheap by any means to go forward with a music career. But... uh, it's a fun life to live once you've uh, figured it out. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun. That's for that's for damn sure. Yeah. Right on. Well, Wrap awesome. Us. Yeah, I think that's a great episode. I think it's been great to have you. Thanks for coming out to us. No, thank you so um, much. And uh, please feel free to come by anytime. Uh, anytime you're in town, and fill us in on what how this story has changed. You like, know. Yeah. You've been on a rocket ship since 2015, and uh, doesn't seem like it's going to be stopping anytime soon. I look forward to the future. That's yeah. for sure. We got some good things in store. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in today, Regina. Thank you as always, and everyone for who tuned in today. Thank you. And if you haven't liked the page already, uh, we know oh, they you have. have. We know you have. <laughs> Um, but just keep, keep tuning in. And if you're interested in more bonus footage, I'm sure we will have some for you. Uh, just ask for it. Thanks. Awesome. Have a great day. Peace. Cool. Thank you. Great job. Check. Yeah, we're live. Type. Check. That camera. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, and we forgot to mention. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Yeah, so we're rolling. How do you want to cue that up? I don't know. Um, It's fine. Just dive right in. Yeah, so um, the future for me, I'm moving out of Chicago, and I'm going to be moving to Phoenix. Um, I just got a promotion to be part of the management uh, team with James Thomas Productions. And uh, we got some really good things in store for the future. Um, I'm not going to talk about what we have going on because we don't really like to talk about that stuff. We like to be under wraps, but we have about 60 shows already booked for all of next year. 
and there's still some contracts to be talked about. That's exciting, man. Yeah. That's so, very exciting. I'm very excited. Uh, it's very good to be part of this team. Uh, and that's what I was saying before, that uh, I'm pretty comfortable at this point. So from tamales to production, national production executive in under three years. That's incredible. It feels good. That's amazing. <laughs> That should be celebrated. That's, that's huge. Let's say manager. Yeah. Keep, keep it. <laughs> but no, yeah. It, it feels good. It's cool. It's cool. Uh, I just hope to be back in Chicago more than I think I'm going to be. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Did you want to touch on um, what it's like to reject a substance from your life? Um, just because I know a lot of people who watch it like hearing that stuff. Um, I personally, I rejected alcohol from my life. I, it was very unhealthy the way I would, you know, rail drinks, you know? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so I've been clean from hard drugs since August and, you know, I felt, you know, I started developing just psyches, like something's wrong. Something I'm, I need this out of my life. I need to get clean, stuff like that. And so then I finally built up enough courage to do that and, uh, two weeks after I started getting the worst withdrawals ever and I started to develop panic attacks for the first time and uh, ultimately the only thing you could really do is uh, fix everything that you think is wrong in your life so I quit uh, you know all the hard drugs and I quit uh, smoking cigarettes uh, I don't drink that often I don't smoke pot that often uh, I started juicing, taking like uh, apple cider vinegar shots and uh, cutting out sugar out of my diet and uh, cutting out bread. Maybe that's the reason why I've been so successful since uh, I got drug free. I don't know. Right on. That's huge. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And we might not even, you know, put yeah. that, cut that in, yeah. but it just feels, if it doesn't feels work, good to don't say. Work. Yeah. 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 That'd be great. Thank you. I mean, it's just inspiring because uh, with such a big following within the music industry, mm-hmm. I always say I have a an unusually large number of drug addicts very close to me and (laughs) it's overwhelming Uh, i think we all live through that Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and that was like a big issue that i was having at the place i was living at Uh, i was always on the road but when i would come back home it would be crazy but it was also crazy on the road what am i kidding right yeah Yeah. i mean it's part of lifestyle and you do it so you can get through the day you do it so you can get through the night especially um you justify it for your like to yourself and you know it's kind of the snowball thing that kind of takes on a life of its own yeah but yeah good job congratulations way to shake it and once you start making those positive choices you feel so good that you, it doesn't mm-hmm. even tempt you anymore you know it's like yeah. i wouldn't drink windex like that doesn't <laughs> seem like <laughs> windex is the worst that's it. that's gross, that's it. it's gross. <laughs> yeah i mean cool cool sweet so did you get everything out as far as what you wanted to say on the second um round? james thomas yeah, I talked to uh, James Thomas. Yeah, I talked about that. Anybody else that's helped you out along the way? Um, yeah, there's been people. Uh, Pat Riley has been a big inspiration of my, uh, of for me. Um, Scott Drasler, um, Party Line Chicago. Uh, I give a big shout out to him. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't uh, had you know a first person to believe in me. You know, he pulled me under his wing. Uh, him and uh, Christian. Yeah, 
it's uh it's i don't know it's it's it's, it's kind of funny talking about your start and uh things were wild and then you realize that there's no way of going up and if you're still going hard that's that's the thing it's who can uh do it in moderation who can't i don't know very this true. is just me rambling now. No, it's no, good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, these are all very useful. Um, awesome. Those shout outs are huge because oftentimes those people watch it and they yeah. share it and they yeah. like it. And have been watching your story the whole time. Yeah, and yeah. they're, they're yeah. excited about it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We're all just looking for opportunities to celebrate each other, you know? Mm-hmm. No, seriously, though. <laughs> Pat each other on the back. Uh, ah. <laughs> that's, that's like. How it is is I try to help people out as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, does it ever really come back full force? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It looks like some people are really believing in you and giving yeah. you cool opportunities. Yeah. Maybe because they see what you do for other people. Yeah. It plays into yeah. it. Yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of karma. Live your life to the fullest and do good things to people. And hopefully you expect good things to come back. The law of attraction type thing. Definitely. Um, that's what it is yeah you got you got bad thoughts you're gonna have bad things happen it's true though no it is freaking true (laughs) all of a sudden you start telling people about this you're like you're crazy man no No. just watch yeah (laughs) that's what's up cool don't leave me just watch (laughs) y'all i need to eat steak